From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. Following the context of Pastor Greg's teaching last week on surrender, taking up your cross, a willingness to die, the famous quote by Joe Lewis then when they asked him, why are you such a good boxer? He said, everybody wants to live, but nobody wants to die. I remember being at uh, the Assembly of God Bible College in Kirkland, Washington, and the married housing overlooked the Seattle Seahawks practice field. And I remember Steve Largent, the last year of his career, Hall of Fame career, three games left because he had been injured. He'd already announced his retirement. As practice is over, he's coming back from a major injury, only has three games left. He has a coach out there throwing him balls. He's toe-tapping, falling out of bounds. He is working on skills for three more games, and he's a Hall of Famer. That's the discipline. That's the willingness to die. That's the Joe Lewis quote, everybody wants to live, nobody wants to die. For us to be great, it takes discipline. Sorry. We want instant everything. I want to share with you an obscure passage that will further illustrate this point. We die to our desires and ourselves because God is sovereign. I love Ezra. I love Nehemiah, books of restoration. One of my quotes that has guided me all of my life is Ezra, where he says, The sovereign hand of God is upon me. Have you ever awaken in the middle of the night and know that the sovereign hand of God is upon you? On Tuesday afternoon, have you ever thought the sovereign hand of the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the God all by himself, the sovereign hand of God is saying, son or daughter, this way. I'm directing you this way. Go this way. What a remarkable thought. What an incredible God we serve. Isaiah chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 says, This passage came to me concerning Jerusalem, the valley of vision. What is happening? Why is everybody running to the rooftops? The whole city is in a terrible uproar. What do I see in this revealing city? It's a play on words. He's saying, Jerusalem, you're supposed to be the one that sees, and now you're caught in something that you didn't see coming. You thought you were ready, but you didn't see it coming. You're up on the rooftop because you're looking out, and you're freaking out. Verse 8, Judah's defenses have been stripped away. You run to the armory for your weapons. You inspect the the breaks in the walls of Jerusalem. You store up water in the lower pool. You survey the houses and tear some down for stone to strengthen the walls. Between the city walls, you build a reservoir for water from the old pool. Verse 11 is key. But you never ask for help from the one who did this all. You never considered the one who planned this long ago. Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church at this time, in this season, in this hour. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, You sent the Holy Spirit to be our guide and teacher and our comforter. Come, Holy One, lead us into truth. Direct us now, we pray. We throw away, we ask God that you would corral our minds and the distractions would be gone so that we could hear you today. 
something to live by, God, something that will direct our lives in this next season. We thank you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let me give you some quick historical background. I love history. I love military history. My dad fought in World War II. He received the third highest medal that you can receive as a soldier, and he said the ones that were the heroes are the ones that are buried in Europe. But the fact is, I love military history, especially Civil War, World War II, and the, the settling of the American West. But anyway, there are three captivities that we've got to understand in Jewish history. The first one was the Assyrian captivity, the second one is the Babylonian captivity, and the third that happened after the death of Christ, the Roman captivity, which turned into dispersing the Jews throughout the world in the miracle of 1948. A nation that has been dispersed for almost 2,000 years came back together, and people say it just happened. This, is, this text is a precursor for the Syrian captivity. If you understand, and by the way, I have tried for the last 30 years to read the Bible through cover to cover every year. Now, some years I've made it, other years I've skipped a couple books because some of them are like, what's that mean? Anyway, but I mean, the fact is, once you understand the, the scripture in context, you understand who begat, who begat, who begat, who begat, who had, was born to who and why. And you understand, oh, there was a different captivity that happened 200 years after the first captivity, where, where the northern tribes were taken away in the Syrian captivity, and then Judah was taken away in the, in the um, Babylonian captivity, and then Cyrus, who wasn't even the king yet because he's the king of Persia, is prophesied by name in Isaiah. Isaiah, before he's born, that he's going to release the children of Israel. And that is the Babylonian captivity. And then you realize Jesus says, see all these buildings? That one stone is going to be, be left upon another because the Romans are going to have a siege where Josephus, what, what Pastor Greg said, they crucified 500 Jews in one day. They were brutal. History repeats. We don't learn. But this is a precursor to the Syrian captivity. Sennacherib, nasty, nasty dude. Even his name is nasty. Sennacherib, he conquers Lachish. He is instructed by God to take care of part of the northern kingdom. But he's never instructed to come down Jerusalem. But much like the enemy, he gets all puffed up and decides, okay, I took care of these guys, I'm going to take care of Jerusalem. It is found in Three books of the Old Testament, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah. It is given more text. One incident is given more text than the life of some people that you would think in this Old Testament should be given more text. Only David, more than Elijah, more than Elisha. This one passage. Now, God doesn't waste words. How many believe that? This book is not black ink on white pages or electronically given now today. It is something that God wants us to understand. If God is devoting about 10 chapters of the Old Testament to one story, maybe, just maybe, there's some things we ought to learn from it. But that's another sermon in itself. What happens is there's a siege. Siege is a prolonged or persistent effort to overcome resistance. Sennacherib sends his cronies to Jerusalem and they stand outside the wall and they say this. This is in scripture. 
you're going to drink your own urine and you're going to eat your own feces. How many would like to be there that day? I mean, that's nasty. I guess they say you can drink your own urine and you won't die, but I'm telling you, the other one will kill you. I don't want to be in days like that. I want to learn before I get there. It's kind of like in another siege in 2 Kings chapter 4, which is another sermon, where it says a, a, like a half a pound of dove's dung was being sold. How many like to eat pigeon poop? You know, it's just an awesome stuff. But Hezekiah, who was a godly king, the northern tribes of, of Israel never had a godly king. When the, when the kingdom was separated after Solomon, I'm sorry I'm boring you, but I've got to quickly give you this context. When the kingdom was separated after Solomon, the northern tribes never had a godly king again. Judah had a, about every second or third king was godly. And Hezekiah was one of those guys. So Hezekiah had the foresight to see that there might be a siege someday. So he did some things. Jerusalem was probably 15 to 20,000, 20,000 people in population. He saw the importance of a water supply. He reinforced and rebuilt a double wall. He tore down some houses that maybe were already destroyed or that were on the, outer si- on the outside and took stones from there to reinforce the wall. He did something remarkable. They tunneled through solid rock for a quarter or three quarters of a mile. This is in 500 B.C. Excuse me, 700 B.C. And they tunneled from two sides and made this tunnel that was even used in Jesus' day. It was called the Pool of Siloam. They brought water from outside the wall into the interior of Jerusalem. Why? Because they knew if they conquered the water supply, you would be drinking your own urine. So they prepared. The scripture is very clear. We need to prepare. Amen? We need to be prepared. Consider the ant, O sluggard, the proverb says. You know, they gather. Have you ever seen an ant, like, carry something three times its size or five times its size or a hundred times its size, just kind of trucking and pulling backwards, and then a couple more come? Consider the ant. Be prepared. There's nothing wrong with preparation. It's pretty remarkable. But what they did is they trusted in their many weapons. It says in chapter or in verse 11, they prepared the breaches of the city walls plus built a second wall. They dug this tunnel. They destroyed homes to build a wall. They built a reservoir to hold the water. All good things. They had done everything humanly possible to defend themselves. But, (laughs) it's a play on words. They could see or perceive the importance of watching for breaches in the wall. But they did not see or perceive the importance of seeking the plans of God. And if you understand the story, when the siege happens, it is pretty radical. And finally, Hezekiah takes the threatening letter. And I've done this. I've gotten an unexpected bill. I got something from the IRS that freaked me out that wasn't even for me, but it freaked me out. When something comes from the IRS, it's like, 
Oh, God, what did I do? I didn't purposely cheat, but they found me cheating somehow. I know it. I just know it. So I took the letter. And I said, God, here's the letter. Here's the letter. I lay it before you. I've taken, told people to take threatening diagnosis from the doctors. Maybe a, something you've gotten in the mail, something you've gotten in an email. Somebody's threatening you at work. We need to do what Hezekiah did. He took this letter and presented it to the Lord and said, God, take note of their threats. Look at what they're, who they're threatening. And I love what happens. We'll read that in just a moment. But the fact is, all of the preparations in the world cannot prepare you for what you're going to face in life. Anybody here have, you don't have to raise your hand, but an unexpected death in the family. I mean, that, that is like the, the thing of all things. Anybody have anything that happened to you, even though you prepared for it? The danger is this. We lean to our own understanding. We retreat. I, I think it's interesting. I love that we have a teaching team, and we get together on Thursdays and discuss my notes. They discussed my notes before I even got to teach them. How remarkable. I don't know of another church that does that. And, you know, for somebody that's taught for 35, 40 years, it's, like, pretty threatening. Because it's like, we're going to have people going over my notes. I think they're pretty good notes. But I found out they could be even better by having other eyes on the notes. Anyway, one of the guys was talking about they tore down a house, which represents family, to build up a wall. How many of us have had a house tore down, a family tore down, and what do we do with the bricks that are left? We build up walls. The danger of leaning to our own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. If you see what happens constantly in Israel is they run to Egypt all the time. Egypt, Egypt, Egypt. It's amazing how many times they go to Egypt and they always get in trouble. Abraham ran to Egypt. You know who he brought back? Hagar. To this day, it's still issues. It's called Palestinians and Israelites. It's still an issue. He ran to Egypt. What are you trusting in today? What understanding are you leaning on? My wife and I have been married 39 years in two weeks. Be 39 years. Yeah, I think that's... Because there's times we didn't like each other, and we stayed married, though. But the fact is, after you've been married that long, you can put it in cruise control, guys, can't you? Yeah, you could just kick it in cruise control. Happy wife, happy life. Yeah, you can't kick it in cruise control if you want to have a good marriage. You can't. And you kind of coast along, and all of a sudden, you bam, hit up something, you know? You got it in cruise control, you're looking at a text message, and all of a sudden, somebody stops in front of you. That's called marriage issues. Maybe you are one that is an incredible financial planner and you've got everything planned out. It is laid out before you and there's nothing wrong with that. But the fact is, don't trust in your money. Don't trust in your planning. What is God saying? He may say, give away part of that money. Just thinking. That's next week's sermon. I love where David goes to the priest and says, do you have any weapons when he's running from Saul? And he says, yeah, we have Goliath's sword. And David says, give it to me. There's none like it. 
I'm thinking, David, you just killed the dude. The sword couldn't protect him. Why are you leaning to that sword now? Have you ever leaned on something you know can't bring deliverance? Now, I know none of you have, but I have. I've leaned on things that I know can't bring deliverance. Egypt was constantly couldn't bring deliverance, but they ran to that. The second thing is the danger of trusting in our own preparation. I love this scripture. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Right? There's another passage David says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in Abram tanks and nuclear weapons. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God, right? Amen. The danger of relying on yesterday's vision. I love the new living out of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It says, give us the food we need today. Give us what we need today. Have you ever been in that state where you only have what you need today? Not very many Americans have. Really. I mean, most of us don't starve. I remember going to Haiti the first time, and they passed the offering basket. And there was an egg and some fruit, a mango or something, because they are giving of what they need. Doggone it. I retweeted a tweet from Rick Warren yesterday that said, if you're not spending time with God on a daily basis, you won't be able to handle it when pressure's on. We've got to make time to listen during a daily time with God. Whatever it takes to keep the focus on God, do it. 96, give one. We had a campaign in our church. 96 15-minute periods, give one. Start with one. If you're not seeking God on a daily basis, I'm talking about just getting into the Word. Don't get up at 4. You'll be asleep at 4.15. Just give God 15 minutes in the Word. You give God 15 minutes, prayer life comes out of that. Relation life comes out of that. Just give God 15 minutes. You can read through the Bible in 15 minutes a day. Seriously. Indicators, very quickly, that we have a siege mentality. The first one is this. We dream up endless scenarios. My grandson is six, just entered kindergarten. He's going to a bilingual Spanish emergent school. And it's actually kind of tough. But his mama is Hispanic, and so they want to have the both languages, which I think is brilliant. But the night before school was to start, he freaked because his teacher was mean. His new teacher was going to be mean because she took his Pokemon card when he was in kindergarten. Because you can't have Pokemon cards because they might fight over the card, so they, you can't have them at school. And evidently he had one in his backpack, and he didn't know he had it in his backpack, and so the teacher took it. And, he, and she was mean. Well, unbeknownst to him, over the summer, she retired because she was older. So he's freaking out, can't hardly sleep the night before school, gets to school, and he doesn't even have the mean teacher. He's got somebody brand new. How many times have you and I freaked out over the mean teacher? Anybody here besides me dream up scenarios in your mind? This is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and this is going to happen. I know that's going to happen. You know, we put two and two together. It's always four, but sometimes God uses different math. Sometimes two and two is five to God. Not meaning that he doesn't have absolutes. I'm just talking about he'll mess with it. Sometimes you read a book, Five Happy Steps to a Great Marriage. And you, in your life, you have seven. 
right? You do all five and it's like still nothing's happening because God's given you eight. We dream up scenarios. The irony of Sennacherib's threats, he wasn't even supposed to be there. They would have heard God. It's like, this dude's not supposed to be at our doorstep. The second thing is we waste numerous resources. How many times when we're in a siege mentality do we waste peace of mind? I always teach this, that I believe every place where Jesus shed blood during the Passion Week redeemed something for us. He didn't just wear the crown of thorns because they were mocking his kingship. He wore, wore the crown of thorns because he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-being, our peace of mind was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We waste time. We waste energy. And of course we waste money. And the last thing is we we make no room for God's faithfulness. We come up with the scenario, and so we come up with the plan to fix the problem. Anybody here fixers? Many times my wife is like, I don't want you to fix me. I just want you to listen to me. She had a fra- favorite saying that she used when I, because I'm the pastor. I was a pastor. I was a preacher. I, I knew. I had people coming to me all the time for answers. So she would come to me with a problem. I'd give her an answer. She says, you're not my Holy Spirit. Tick me off. I'm not, how can you argue with that? I'm, you're not my Holy Spirit. No, I'm not. But I'm trying to play God in your life right now. See, the siege ended like this. What a remarkable thing. They're freaking out. Finally, Isaiah takes the letter and spreads it before God. Isaiah comes to him and says, don't worry about it. It's going to be taken care of. Listen now, it's taken care of. In the wrong, I'm in Jeremiah. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185 Assyrian soldiers. How many think that's pretty good? Now, it's not, not good if you're an Assyrian soldier, but an angel can take care of 185,000 of the. At that time, it was like the United States military, it was the force of the world. And when the Assyrian. Surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning. They found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. And when he went home to the capital, then he stayed there. Isaiah says, I'm going to put a hook in his nose. Have you ever seen a bull with a hook in his nose? He says, I'm going to lead him back the same way he came. We freak out, church. And God says, your problem's going to be have a hook in his nose and is going to be led back if you just trust him. What happens to Sennacherib, his sons end up killing him nice family group man it's just amazing to me that this kind of stuff happens and then one of his sons becomes the next king where are you in this equation are you a planner and a fixer maybe you're the exact opposite I kind of I have a tendency sometimes to fly by the seat of my pants and get in trouble because I just go with the flow. I'm just that kind of guy. It's like, oh, yeah, let's try this. I, I try something. Ah, I got bored. I don't like it anymore. Let's try this. Oh, Matt, yeah, I got good at it. Or I, I don't play golf and I don't play video games because I'll never win and I hate it. 
I just hate it. So I don't do those things. You know, I ride a road bike, and if I know I have, I can meet a time, I'll, I'll meet a time. I'll, I'll go for that time. At 62, I'm still trying to get that time. But the fact is, it doesn't matter where you're at in the equation. All of us sometimes freak out when God's trying to show us. All you need to do is seek me. Hear my voice. Obey what I'm saying to you. And take the steps of action I'm asking you to take. I love the fact, I always say the king of the universe, the great and awesome God, wants to have audience with lowly farm boy from Illinois, Gary Peters. It just amazes me that God wants to listen to me and I can listen to him. It's called communication. In my prayer times, I will stop and say, God, where, what, how? Most of the time, it's this. This is how he speaks to me. 99% of the time, if I get a prophetic word, it's confirmation of what he's already sharing to me in this. It'll never supersede this. This is my rule of life, church. If I know this, then I know. That's not God. That's not God. Oh, that is God. Why? Because I've seen him in this. I've walked with him 40-some years. And I can say this. Most of that time, there's been no regrets. The regrets have not been on God's part. It's been on mine. Fact is, I am so glad when we sang, when trumpets sound. How many are looking forward to that day? Yeah, the older I get, the sweeter it looks. <laughs> but the fact is, I just want you to understand if you spend time, you will be directed. And there are some times God says, dig the tunnel, bring the water source in. Other times, spread the letter before him before you make any other plans. Amen, let's pray. Father, thanks. Lord, I pray you give us a passion and a hunger for your word and for your presence. God, let everything we do be about you. Help us, Father God, to set aside the things that so easily distract us and run the race with endurance, knowing that there's a cloud of witnesses saying, it is worth it. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, God. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.